please take a seat. And if you want to grab um, a Bible in the seat in front of you, um, we've got two readings this morning. The first one is from Psalm 103, and it can be found on page 605 in the Red Bibles. So Psalm 103, beginning at verse 1. Praise the Lord, my soul, all my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse nor will he harbour his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our, iniqui our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. The life of mortals is like grass. They flourish like a flower of the field. The wind blows over it and it is gone and its place remembers it no more. But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him and his righteousness with their children's children, with those who keep his covenant and remember to obey his precepts. The Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. Praise the Lord, you his angels, you mighty ones who do his bidding, who obey his word. Praise the Lord, all his heavenly hosts, you servants who do his will. Praise the Lord, all his works everywhere in his dominion. Praise the Lord, my soul. And our second reading is from the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 1, beginning at verse 3. And you can find that on page 1173. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will, 
to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. Thank you, Hilda. Um, Excellent. Let me pray. Let's pray as we start. Heavenly Father, thank you that, um, that by your Spirit you do open up your word to us. Please do that now as we reflect on these passages and um, help us, Father, to know you better for who you are so that we uh, relate to you as we should. And we pray it for your glory and for our good. Amen. Amen. Well, some of us will know the story of John Newton. Newton was involved in the slave trade. He worked on slave ships, taking people from where they lived and taking them off to be slaves. A despicable thing. He was even captain of many of those ships. But Newton became a Christian. And years later, he wrote these words. You might recognize them. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Amazing grace that saved a wretch like me. Well, um, this morning we're in the third, the final bit of a, a short sermon series we're doing on who God is, what he's like. Two weeks ago, we had the God who is holy. Last week, the God who is sovereign. This week, the God who is gracious. We're saying we're talking about the same God um, with all those three, um, holy, sovereign, gracious. But this morning, we're focusing on the God of grace, the God who is very gracious, the God of amazing grace. And um, when we ask the question, why do we say that God is gracious? Well, we say that because the Bible says so. The, The first reading that Hilda read for us back in Psalm 103 Um, We're going to be hopping around the Bible a bit, but Psalm 103, verse 8, uh, if you have it there, it sums up things pretty nicely. This is kind of a character description for the God of the Bible. The Lord is gracious and, or compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. And in terms of what that grace looks like, verse 10 He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. See, because God is gracious, he treats us better than we deserve. Uh, Here's what it means for God to be gracious on the screens. God is a generous giver who loves to treat us way better than we deserve. Let Let me say that one more time. God is a generous giver who loves to treat us way better than we deserve. Uh, And as we drill into that this morning, I hope two things happen. First, I hope that we get clearer on that in our heads, because we might not be clear that that's who God is. Um, You know, if, if I were to, if someone were to ask you, what's God like? And you were to just give your, your first impression that might not describe the kind of God that, that, 
that you describe. Or it might be that you do sign up to this in theory, but, um, but you find yourself forgetting that this is what God is like, or questioning whether God is gracious, or you notice um, that your belief in God's grace is shallower than you would like it to be. Well, I hope this helps us get clearer that God is a generous giver who loves to treat us way better than we deserve. But secondly, I hope this does more than impact our heads. I hope we feel it in our hearts because it is possible to know this stuff, but for it not to, to warm our hearts. And that's what we want. We, we want this not just to, to rest in our heads and leave us cold, but to warm our hearts with amazement that God is such a gracious God. And if we feel that, then it will make such a difference. Uh, that is the difference between running from God in fear and running to Him in confidence. Knowing God's grace is a difference between obeying Him resentfully, because I have to, and obeying Him gladly, because I want to. It's what keeps us from pride when we do well and from despair when we fail. It's what stops a church like ours from being just a, a bunch of Pharisees, you know, people who are just self-righteous and judgmental and love to pretend they're better than they are and are harsh to others. Being amazed at grace makes us a church of gracious people who are honest about what we're like and welcoming to others and show each other grace because we've received it. And it is the difference between going through the motions in worship and praising God wholeheartedly, joyfully. I wonder, can you relate to any of those struggles? Well, knowing God's grace, being amazed at God's grace, will make all the difference in the world. And so to help us with that, uh, three things for us to know in our heads and to feel in our hearts. Here's the first. As creatures, God doesn't need us one bit. Everything we have is a gift. I wonder, what pops into your head when you, when you think of the phrase, a needy person? Maybe it's someone who's always on the phone asking for help, or someone who, who can't stand being left alone, or someone who's just never learned how to look after themselves. Well, whatever it is, the reality is we are all needy people. You know, right now, we all need oxygen to stay alive. Take it away, that's it. Uh, we need heat. We need shelter. It's great that we have a building. Uh, as I wrote this, I was eating a cookie. Did I need that cookie? Well, maybe not. But um, do I need food? Yes, I do. If I don't get enough food into me, that's it. Again, I'm done. See, it's, it's a bit like... It's a bit like we are leaky buckets uh, that need constantly to be topped up again and again and again. We are needy people. Uh, and that's not wrong. It's not wrong to be needy. But it is what it is to be a creature. And God is not like us. He is not needy. He is absolutely complete in himself. If we are leaky buckets... God is 100% full to the brim, and he always will be. He has no needs 
whatsoever. Which raises a question that you might have asked yourself before. If God doesn't need anything, why did he make us? You know, if God really is fully complete in himself, why did he go to the trouble of of creating us? He doesn't need us. And the answer is, he didn't need to create us. He would have been just fine without us. But he loves to give. Here's how Paul puts it in Acts 17. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. See, God didn't create us to to get something for himself. He doesn't need anything for himself. No, rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. Do we get the picture? God created not to get, but to give. He didn't need us, but he is a generous giver. Here's how C.S. Lewis put it. God who needs nothing, loves into existence, wholly unnecessary creatures, in order that he may love and perfect them. He is a generous giver, and that's why we're here. And I'd love us to feel the force of a couple of things. Um, Firstly, God doesn't need us. He will never need us to give anything to him, and we cannot benefit him in any way. And um, despite the fact that he doesn't need us, he does want us. Feel that. The God of the universe did not need you to exist, but he does want you to exist. And he wants a relationship with you, not for his benefit, but for yours. That's the first thing, and and feel the force of this as well, that all we have is a gift. Um, This is a bit embarrassing, but I find that I still look forward to getting presents at Christmas time. Uh, You know, under the tree, all these amazing things that you didn't do anything to get, that you don't deserve, but that have just appeared because someone loves you. Well, in our Father's world, every day is Christmas Day, because we are surrounded by all these gifts that we didn't do anything to get, that we have no right to, that God has given us just because he loves us. Everything we have, uh, our bodies, the air we breathe, the cars we drive, the jobs we work at, work at our neighbors, the, the time that we have on this earth. It is all a gift from the giver. Just imagine what it would be like to look at everything we have the same way a child looks at their presence under the tree. Wow, it's just appeared. I didn't do anything to get it. I don't deserve it. But someone has given it to me. What must he be like? Well, that's the first thing. As creatures, God doesn't need us one bit. Everything we have is a gift. He's a generous giving gold. And the second thing was a slight, there's a a big shift in tone, but we need to hear it. Here it is. As sinners, we deserve hell, and we can't help ourselves. See, we, we cannot appreciate God's grace if we don't see it against the backdrop of our sin. Uh, Remember what John Newton sang, amazing grace, 
that saved a wretch like me. And that's difficult for us. Uh, one writer said that the difficulty these days isn't so much getting people saved, but getting them lost. You know, realizing that we are sinners. And there are lots of things today that make that hard. Um, the idea that, you know, for our self-esteem, we should only believe things about ourselves that are, that are good. Social media, that you always need to project a positive image of yourself and have a positive image of yourself. But actually, it's always been hard to be real about that because we're proud. We, we don't want to face up to the truth about ourselves. We'd rather believe that, that I'm not that bad compared to those other people, um, or that I'm a victim rather than a villain, and that God really must be quite pleased with me. But God says differently in his word. Here's Ephesians 2 on the screens. Uh, and this is written to Christians. God thinks that Christians need to know this. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. As sinners, we deserve wrath, hell. Why? Well, because sin isn't a little thing. It's, it's not just doing bad things. It is a big deal. It's rejecting the God who made us. Jesus has an image for this. He says, um, imagine a loving, generous father who, who cares for his children. And then one day, one of, the sons, one of his sons turns around to him and says, Dad, I don't want you in my life. I'm very happy to take the stuff that you give me, but I don't want you. In fact, I know that when you die, you're going to give me uh, all this other stuff that you're going to leave to me as an inheritance. But I don't want to wait around for you to die. I want you to give it to me now, Dad. I wish you were dead. Give me your stuff so I can clear off and get away from you. Well, that is a picture of how we've treated God. I don't want the giver, but I'm happy to take the gifts. And how should, God treat, how should God treat people who've slapped him in the face like that? Well, the Bible's very clear that we deserve to be away from all of God's goodness forever. And on top of that, it's also clear we can't help ourselves. We can't fix this. Um, I'm sure that in this room, there are loads of very impressive abilities. If we were to do a, a talent show, or to uh, look at each other's CVs. I'm sure we can do some pretty impressive stuff, but spiritually speaking, we are powerless to do anything about this, our sin deserving hell. In fact, what does Paul say? He says, as for you, you were dead. What can a dead person do to help themselves? Well, it's a silly question. A dead person can't do a thing. And that is how powerless we are to fix this on our own. And uh, I'm afraid God would be com completely within his rights to leave us this way, to leave us in sin, deserving hell. Apparently, one person on their deathbed once said this. They said, don't worry, God will forgive me, because that's his job. Well, no. God does not have to show us any kindness 
He could leave us in sin and hell and be completely right and good because that's what we deserve. But wonderfully, that's not what he does. To people who deserve less than nothing, who have nothing to offer, God shows amazing grace, not because he has to, but because he wants to. As creatures, God doesn't need us one bit. Everything we have is a gift. As sinners, we deserve hell, and we can't help ourselves. But in Jesus, God gives so much, costly to him, but free to us. I wonder, could you look up Ephesians 1, just before uh, that second passage that Hilda read? And as you look it up, let me tell you a story. Um, You might know it. It's a story of Jean Valjean, uh, who is a a character in Victor Hugo's novel, uh, Les Miserables, Les Mis. And Jean Valjean is a criminal who is uh, hunted down by uh, Javert, the police inspector who is bent on justice and punishing Jean Valjean. And Jean Valjean, as he's looking for, for someone to take him in, no one will. Get away from us, Valjean, you're, you're a criminal. Until, that is, a priest comes across him who welcomes Jean Valjean into his home and gives him a bath and a bed to sleep in and warm food to eat. And it's amazing grace. But then that night, Jean Valjean decides he's going to steal the gold, the money that the priest owns. And he takes his stuff, bundles it into a bag, and clears off. And he's caught. The townspeople catch him, and Jean Valjean you know, makes up this defense. No, the priest told me I could take this stuff. He gave it to me. And they don't believe him, obviously. And they bring him back to the priest and say, listen, here's what he says. What do you say? And the priest says, no, it's true. I did give him those things. But my son, you, in your haste, you forgot something. You forgot this candlestick that I meant to give you as well. Take it and be on your way. Well, that is a faint picture of God's amazing grace that he lavishes on undeserving people so much more than we deserve. Namely, verse 3 of Ephesians 1, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. What is that? Well, verse 4, he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Uh, in other words, if you're a Christian, you chose God because he first chose you. And there's never been a time when he hasn't loved you. Verse 4, he chose us to be holy and blameless in his sight. He didn't choose us because we were good, thankfully. He chose no one in that case, and he doesn't need to choose anyone. But having chosen us, he is committed to making us good. Someone put it this way, God loves us enough to take us as we are, and he loves us too much to leave us as we are. He will put us right in time. Verse 5, verse 5, in love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ. Here is how God treats people who've slapped him in the face. He gives them a place in the family. So we come to him not just as creatures to our creator, 
but as children to our Father. Verse 7, in Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. I wonder, can you think, can you think of a relationship where something wrong you've done could wreck the whole thing? Maybe because it comes to light, or because someone holds a grudge, uh, they keep bringing up what you've done. Well, that is not how it is with God. He doesn't just give us the possibility of forgiveness. He really forgives us. No. He puts our sins away from us as far as the east is from the west so that they'll never again come between us and him. And as we continue to stumble, we might be shocked at the evil that's still in our hearts. But he isn't. He knew what we were like when he took us on. He went in with his eyes open, and he will not back out on us. He really won't. In fact, he's shown us that he won't. That, that little phrase in verse 7, through his blood, Jesus' blood. The story of Jean Valjean is a, a lovely picture of grace, but there is the awkward detail that the priest lies, uh, and Jean Valjean doesn't face any consequences for his sin. But in the true story of grace, God finds a way to deal with our sin and still show us amazing grace. He gives his son, Jesus, to die on the cross and be punished in our place so that in Jesus, our sin is punished and we can have every spiritual blessing, costly to him, but absolutely free to us. Praise him for that, brothers and sisters. Jesus has paid with his blood for all our sins and bought us every spiritual blessing. And we will go on praising him for all eternity in joy. And we'll never get over the fact that he loved us enough to die for us. And on Jesus' death, I, I want us to be really clear on something. Jesus did not make God gracious. Here's what I mean. Um, uh, some people have this idea that, that before Jesus died in the Old Testament, uh, God was a mean God. You know, he was in a, a kind of a bad mood about punishing people and, and giving them what they deserve. But then Jesus died, the cross happened, and um, well, that kind of caused God to have a mood swing. Instead of being in a bad mood, he was now in a, a good mood, a gracious mood. And um, that's lucky for us that he, he happens to be in a good mood. Uh, Jesus has changed him to be that way. And you don't have to think for long to see how awful that would be if that were true. You know, if that were true, then God, God isn't gracious. That's something he's just been forced into. And how terrifying would it be if someone being good to you depends on them being in a good mood? And that being how it is with God. What if he's not always in a good mood? Well, wonderfully, that is not what the Bible teaches. The Bible says that Jesus didn't die for us to make God gracious. Jesus died for us because God is gracious at the very heart of his being. The cross did not change him. The cross shows us just how gracious he is and has always been and always will be. Some verses that, that show us that, wonderful verses. 
John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Or Paul in Romans, God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And John again, this is love. Not that we love God, but he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. See, the cross did not make God loving. It shows us how loving God is to sinners, that his heart beats with love for people who do not deserve it. And that means that God never shows his grace reluctantly. It comes from his heart. I think we often think that he is reluctant about it. You know, well, I come to God for grace. I know I need it. But I don't think he really wants to give it to me. You know, maybe he will. But I think he'd rather not. You know, I'm sure that he's actually disappointed that he has to be gracious to me again. Well, brothers and sisters, take heart. God is never reluctant about showing grace to us. We don't have to twist his arm. He wants to. Uh, Listen to what his word says. He shows us grace in accordance with his pleasure and will. Or, uh, Or what we read in Micah. Who is a God like you who pardons sin and forgives the transgression of the remnant of his inheritance? You don't stay angry forever, but delight to show mercy. Makes him happy. Or uh, remember that story, that image Jesus used, the the son who slaps his father in the face and walks out. Well, how do you think the father would react if the son chooses to come back home? Tell his son to get lost? Maybe at best, he'll he'll keep him on the porch while they negotiate, uh, and, and he sees whether his son is really, really sorry enough to let him back inside, and, and then keep him there, you know, on a provisional basis. Well, here's what God is really like. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. Isn't that wonderful? He is happy to have him home, and he throws him a party. See, brothers and sisters, grace is not just something God does. It is who he is. He shows his grace, and he's happy to do it because he is a gracious God. And for any of us who've who've never received God's grace in Christ, it is as simple as receiving a free gift. You know, when someone offers you a free gift, you, you don't offer something to them. You just receive it. And so receive Jesus. Uh, receive the one who has been punished for our sin, who, the source of every spiritual blessing. Receive him, trust him, depend on him. And God will lavish his grace on us now and forever. Isn't that amazing? God is a God of amazing grace. He is a generous giver who loves to treat us way better than we deserve. Let me ask us, do you feel some sense of amazement at how gracious God is? If you do, then we'll look at some implications in just a bit. But 
But if not, could it be because something here uh, of our three points, next slide please, could it be that something here hasn't yet slotted into our heads or filtered into our hearts? You know, have you felt the reality that, that God doesn't need us? Uh, that everything we have is a gift. That means there's no room for a kind of give-and-take relationship with God where um, I scratch his back and he scratches my back. No, he, he doesn't need anything that I can give him. I can never put him in my debt so that he owes me. I am always the one who will owe him for his goodness. Or could it be that I've never felt the reality of, of my sin, that I don't deserve anything from God, less than nothing, and not just people out there, but, but me, that I deserve hell left to myself. Or maybe it's the case that I do have a very deep sense of my sin, but a very shallow sense of God's grace to me in Jesus. And if that's us, then can I advise you, look away from yourself and look to God in Christ. There is more grace in God than there is sin in us. And God loves us, not because we're lovely, but because he is loving. Look at the cross. Look at the gracious God. And there are things that can help us with that. Um, God has been gracious to me in giving me uh, books that have helped me realize and feel how gracious he is. You know, as a teenager, um, come chat with me if you're a teenager and you want to know what, what books those were. Um, but also, also as an adult, um, uh, I can think of this book, uh, The Prodigal God by Tim Keller. Really penny-dropping for me in seeing that God is a gracious God and feeling it. But actually, even more than books, God has used people to help me see and feel how gracious he is. People who've helped me see his grace in the Bible. Open it up with me people who've reminded me of God's grace when I've really needed to hear it, and who've gone on reminding me of God's grace, and people who've shown me grace that I didn't deserve, that has made God's grace real to me. So let's help each other. Let's show one another grace and talk to one another and open the Bible with each other to show each other that God is a gracious God. And if we do feel that, if we feel some amazement in our hearts that God is gracious, well, here are some quick implications of what it will do for us. Um, uh, this is what it will do. It will give us attraction to God so that we run to him, not from him, when we feel our sin. It will motivate us to live for him because we want to, because he's great, not just because I have to. It will give me balance so that I'm not up here when I'm doing well with God and down here when I'm failing, but I'm humble when I'm doing well and confident in his grace when I fail. It'll give us community so that we are gracious to one another and welcoming. And finally, it will give God praise. Remember, that's, that's how both our readings began and ended, to the praise of his glorious grace. Because a gracious God leaves us with nothing in ourselves to brag about. He does for me what I can't do. And he gives to me what I don't deserve. 
so that he is worthy of all my praise. And if I feel his grace to me, I'll be glad to give it, because he is my gracious God. And if there's one of those things that jumps out at you as, as something you'd like to grow in, then um, you know, chat about that with others. But just know that the solution, it's, it's not to try to work it up from ourselves. It is to see in Christ that God is gracious and to feel glad amazement in our hearts that he would show grace to a wretch like me. Well, um, let me pray. Let's, uh, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that at the core of your being, you are a gracious God, that you delight to show mercy. Thank you for giving your son to die for us so that we could know the riches of your grace. Father, please, please help us to know that, to feel that. Um, please, uh, please reassure us of your kindness. And um, Father, please this week lead us in those good fruits of knowing and feeling your grace. And we pray that would that'd be really good for us and for each other. But the most of all, it would bring you praise for you are so gracious and kind. And we thank you for that, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.